Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep broadcasting. Go to 3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. G'day and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show dedicated to workplace and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and we're broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. My name's Elena McMaster. Stick with us for updates on two ongoing industrial struggles against union-busting bosses. Swinburne University has been taken to court over industrial tactics and lost three times in the last two years. Now they're threatening to cut workers' wages if they don't have a new agreement signed before Christmas. Later in the show, we'll catch up with National Tertiary Education Union Victorian Secretary Colin Long to discuss Swinburne's union-busting tactics and what's going on in the current bargaining period. First up, though, we hear from Community and Public Sector Union Deputy National President Rupert Evans on the rolling work stoppages happening across Australia's international airports involving workers in immigration and customs, biosecurity and border force. I spoke with Rupert on Monday morning after the first stoppage. CPSU members in the Australian Border Force and the Department of Immigration and Border Protection, as well as... uh, CPSU members in the Department of Agriculture, Biosecurity, uh, took part in four-hour stoppages uh, this morning and we'll be doing the same again this evening around Australia. Okay, so before we get on to um, what's what's led up to um, the, the industrial action, can you just describe uh, what a work shift looks like for some of these workers? So, for example... To what extent do um, a lot of these workers have to deal with things like unsocial hours or working away from home and that, those kinds of issues? Yeah, look, a lot of the um, airports uh, work significant hours or 24-7 uh, shift rosters. For example, in, in Perth, um, uh, their shift uh, finished at 9am this morning, so they were on at about 1am in the morning. Um, it's not unusual for agriculture workers, for example, to be working. They'll be rostered on until 3 o'clock this morning, or tomorrow morning, I should say. Um, so they do work, you know, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, um, protecting our country from, you know, uh, invasive species and threats to biosecurity and human health screening uh, on the agriculture and biosecurity side, but also... Um, uh, the frontline protection for border force workers against um, uh, imported prohibited goods like narcotics, weapons uh, and other threats. And on the immigration side, it's about um, ensuring uh, people with um, you know, criminal convictions and uh, wanted, uh, people wanted for crimes don't enter Australia. Okay, so um, this is happening in the context of ongoing uh, EBA negotiations. Can you tell us about what what workers are particularly unhappy about um, in terms of the agreement or what's being offered to them, what's being offered by the government? So this is industrial action is part of um, uh, industrial action that's happening across the Australian public service. 
Uh, first thing is we've been trying to negotiate fair and reasonable agreements for over 12 months now. So these workers are in a pay freeze. Um, the Abbott government's harsh and unworkable bargaining policy um, is forcing departments to seek cuts to conditions and rights at work. And in the case of Border Force officers, um, cuts to their actual pay packets in the or and penalty rates that are in the order of about five to $8,000 a year, and in some cases more, um, for um, highly skilled or remote located workers. Can you just explain what that means, why people in remote, uh, workers in remote areas might f- face a bigger pay cut? Um, over, you know, 20 years of uh, enterprise bargaining in the public service, we've negotiated uh, conditions of work and allowances for people who do work um, that is highly specialised or requires special skills, uh, people that do work that is, uh, might be considered dirty or dangerous, um, and uh, work that is physically isolated from uh, the communities that people live in, um, in remote areas like Thursday Island, Christmas Island, uh, even places like Darwin, Cairns, ports around uh, far north Western Australia and far north Australia. So um, work in those areas carries additional uh, requirements and responsibilities in terms of isolation, physical isolation, in some cases danger, but also working in extremes of temperature as well, all of which is recognised in many industrial agreements, not just in the public service, in the form of paying people extra allowances uh, for that, like in the same way that we pay um, shift penalties for uh, working people working unsociable hours, which means they can't spend time with their families and, and friends and have a normal life, you might say, that involves uh, where, where there's no such thing as a a regular weekend. So these things in the past have been recognised um, you know, normally uh, in industrial agreements by the payment of additional allowances. For example, um, investigators in customs who uh, work in organised crime areas and are on call pretty much 24-7 for operations that can go well into the night or for, for days at a time receive an allowance uh, that is recognition of the fact that they're doing, if you like, above and beyond so um, the if the acceptance of this agreement is it believed that this would lead to um, you know a less of an ability to protect um, you know for example protect Australia's biosecurity is that something well, you're concerned about? We could, what we're concerned about with uh, the ability to protect Australia in these areas is is mainly about resources. The government has been cutting the number of people that employs to work in this area. And when you cut the number of people employed to do that work, you increase the chance of something getting through that could devastate, in the case of biosecurity, uh, a whole agricultural industry. Um, I guess what it's seeing in the border force and, and airports is those cuts are putting pressure on people all the time. What the government's seeking to do through bargaining is remove, uh, actually cut the pay of the people that it's relies on to do that important work um, and in other cases just cut uh, allowances and conditions um, that people receive uh, in return for doing their job that have been negotiated over 20 years. Um, so just um, just briefly, Rupert, you mentioned that this is um, part of what's um, seen as a broader attack on the public sector by the Abbott government. Can you talk just a little about what, the, um, what form that's taken aside from what's going on in this current um, bargaining period? 
We're talking about um, the Abbott government has uh, broken election promise. It has um, cut 17,000 jobs and climbing since it was elected in the Australian Public Service. Now, these are people that work in, you know, Centrelink and Medicare, um, CSIRO uh, comes into that. Um, uh, just about every part of the public service has been hit with job cuts, which means public those that are remaining are doing more with less people. The, the, the pub, our Australian public service is one of the most efficient in the world, according to OECD figures, um, already. And this enforced efficiency is re resulting in service cuts, uh, like we saw when 26 million calls went unanswered to Centrelink went unanswered in 2013-14. Um, okay. And uh, I, I also saw that um, the CPSU has said that the Minister for Employment, Erica Betts, has refused to even meet with the union. Um, is this quite typical of what it's been like trying to negotiate with this, this government on these issues? Well, when, when it comes to enterprise bargaining, we've said right from the start that, uh, as always, um, CPSU members are prepared to sit down and negotiate something fair and reasonable. Um, at the moment, they don't even have a government representative to sit down and negotiate with, which is just disgraceful. Um, it's disrespectful on the part of government, but it's not surprising. Um, and lastly, what support uh, is the CPSU asking for their members who are who are undertaking these work stoppages at the moment? Look, we, we are um, running a campaign called Support Our Services, uh, which is where members of the public can um, uh, go onto our uh, website and uh, uh, register their support and receive updates from the union um, as to what services are being affected and where. Um, look, this will become, like many other things, an election issue um, and, uh, you know, we appreciate any support from the public uh, for the people that, um, you know, quite literally in some cases put their lives on the line um, to uh, secure our nation and to build its uh, economy. Um, and sorry, just lastly, um, I did read that you uh, that members have been handing out flyers um, to passengers at airports. What's been the response from from people? Has there been have you heard from any members about how people have been responding to them about uh, hearing getting that information? Look, uh, Pete, uh, the the report back from members of the, the general public is overwhelmingly supportive of um, the work that our members do, and when they find out. Um, what the government's plans are in terms of our members' pay and conditions. They're disgusted um, as are our members. So the support from the public's been really um, heartening, um, but also, again, not surprising. Study after study has shown that the Australian public values the services provided by the public service. They value the jobs that the public service brings to their communities, and they value the people that provide those services. So... Um, we're once again seeing the Australian public really get behind its public servants who, after all, are citizens, fellow citizens, fellow taxpaying citizens who take a job um, because they believe in serving their fellow citizens. All right. Thanks very much for your time today, Rupert, and I hope it all goes uh, well this evening as well. Thanks, Rana. You're listening to Stick Together. All about workers' rights and social justice. Every week on the Community Radio Network.
listening to Stick Together and we're bringing you news from two ongoing industrial disputes. Before the break, we heard from CPSU Deputy National President Rupert Evans on the work stoppages throughout international airports in Australia involving public sector workers in immigration and customs, biosecurity and border force. Now to Swinburne University, embroiled still in dispute with their workers over a fair workplace deal. NTEU Vic Secretary Colin Long joins us to have a chat about Swinburne's industrial bargaining tactics. This is a long-running and thorny dispute that you've got going on at Swinburne, um, and it, it does look, you know, looking at the history of it, that it, Swinburne's trying a bit of a grab bag of unlawful tactics to get the kind of agreement they want. Mm. Before we get to what's um, what's going on right now, I was hoping we could do a bit of a recap for listeners who aren't familiar with what's been going on over the last couple of years. If we go a couple of years back, start with uh, Swinburne's efforts to shift 100 staff off into a new company and onto new new contracts. Oh, okay, that's a different dispute, but yep. I'm happy to... Well, there's another one. So Swinburne uh, in 2012, uh, I think, 11 or 12, uh, decided without any consultation with staff or the union to close uh, the Lilydale and Paran campuses, and it went ahead and did that. Uh, we prosecuted them for failure to consult and um, won that and managed to settle out of court on that, which um, led to Swinburne paying a substantial amount of money, which the union, well, the union did not receive that money. The union made sure that that money went into um, family violence and women's shelters in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, pick up on some of the you know the damage that was being done to the social fabric of eastern Melbourne by the closure of the campus, we thought the least that we could do was make sure that money went to try and strengthen some of the social fabric in that area. So women had to pay some money to women's shelters and so on in the east. So that was that issue. Then uh, we also discovered about, uh, not around the same time, maybe a little bit later, that Swinburne had intended to do a, a bit like a Patrick Stevedore's effort on staff in a smaller part of Swinburne, so a thing called Swinburne College. What they did, they set up a thing called Swinburne College Proprietary Limited, a separate company, and put four staff in it, and then they, they wrote a new agreement and got those four staff hand-picked, I think, to agree to that agreement. And then the, their intention was to move about 100, 150 staff onto the new terms and conditions in that in that agreement, and those new terms and conditions were severely undercut the terms and conditions that staff had in Swinburne College. We found out about that and opposed the uh, agreement being registered by Fair Work Commission. When we took that action, the university withdrew the agreement, and then we uh, prosecuted Swinburne for taking adverse action because we had discovered documents that clearly showed that they the whole process they wanted to engage in was to intended to cut terms and conditions of employment and to to avoid dealing with the union and to avoid the the obligations under the collective agreement. So it was taking action against people because of their union membership. And uh, we've reached a settlement with Swinburne on that, uh, where they're paying our costs. 
They've closed up, they've agreed to wind up Swinburne College Proprietary Limited and they will be, um, we're waiting for the federal court to hand down a penalty on that. So that one's just about resolved, just waiting for the appropriate penalty to be handed down by the court. So um, I, I guess that brings us up to the uh, EBA negotiations yeah. that you're currently involved with. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, do that recap to um, just see about what form Swinburne has in terms of yeah, their union-busting tactics. That's right. There's a context, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell us uh, what's what's been going on in the current bargaining period? Um, it's been going on for some time, hasn't it? Yes, unfortunately we started bargaining in the second half of 2012. Um, bargaining went on for a long time until the end of, well, to the start of 2014 when Swinburne decided to walk away from negotiations. They were pushing very hard to cut a number of important conditions, uh, including on consultation around change, and we'd already seen how, uh, what they they were not prepared to consult properly on major change. Um, they were trying to drive up workloads and make it easier to sack staff and make it easier to uh, casualise the workforce as well. So we were resisting on those things. But we, we had put proposals we thought should have been able to resolve it, but management decided to walk away from the agreement and put it to a non-union ballot. Um, we lost that ballot by about 56 votes, very small margin, um, but we were very concerned with the way that the uh, electorate for the ballot was chosen People were given the vote who had only worked at Swinburne for very short periods, or a large number of people who were never going to work at Swinburne again, including you know people who had died and so on. So we went to the Fair Work Commission saying that the commission shouldn't approve the agreement because it wasn't made according to the law, which requires an agreement to be made with staff or, or workers of, of a, a company or an organisation. Unfortunately, the Commission uh, didn't find in our favour. We were very concerned by the Commission's decision. We thought it was a very poor decision, so we went to the Federal Court seeking a judicial review of the Fair Work Commission's decision, and the Federal Court found against both Swinburne and the Fair Work Commission uh, and said that the agreement was not properly made, quashed the, the agreement and sent has sent it back to the Fair Work Commission to determine it according to the law. And uh, we've simply said to Swinburne, let's stop mucking around with courts and tribunals, let's just sit down at a table and negotiate a new agreement, which Swinburne has agreed to do, uh, and we will be commencing negotiations this week. But in the meantime, last week they threatened to cut staff wages by 6.2% at the start of next year if an agreement is not reached by the end of this year. So we're not very happy at all about that threat to wages. We're basically saying, let's just sit down and negotiate in an adult way without this, without this sort of threat hanging over the union and, and staff heads. So um, just going back to the the federal court decision over the, um, the eligibility to vote, you know, in that... Mm. Ballot. Um, so, as I understand it, that was um, yeah, it was actually it was related to whether staff were eligible or not to vote. Yeah. Um, did Fair Work, the Fair Work Commission, or the Federal Court have anything to say about the cash inducements that were offered to um, to people to vote for the agreement? No, I, no, that's that's something yeah, I forgot to mention that uh, staff who uh, all staff were, were in, offered a uh, a sign-on bonus, which was really a 
cash inducement, especially for casual staff and staff who uh, had, were never intending to work there again, but they were going to get a, a payment. Mind you, a large number of people never got a payment, even though they may have signed, uh, voted yes for the management's agreement, because if they weren't, by the time the agreement was actually uh, approved by Fair Work Commission, they weren't. If they weren't employed, they w- they didn't get the payment. So they were induced to, to vote for it, but many of them didn't get the payment. So it was pretty g- devious in the first place. Unfortunately, neither the federal court nor the um, commission had anything to say about that. Um, it isn't legal, though, is it, to offer cash inducements to vote on a on a <laughs> EBA ballot? Uh, Sign-on bonuses are not uncommon okay. um, in our industry and many other industries. So a, a legitimate sign-on bonus, which might be, in, you know, instead of getting a, a percentage pay rise, which uh, will have an ongoing effect on the wage budget, um, sometimes unions will agree to a, a one-off cash p- payment for signing on. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing illegal about that. What we say, though, is when the when it's used as an inducement for people who are never going to work there again to sign, to vote yes, then things are starting to look a bit dubious. But that hasn't been tested in court. Okay. I want to ask you about the issue of casual staff. So it's clearly really complicated and um, I think it's pretty obvious to almost everyone that you know people have worked for one hour in the last year shouldn't be entitled to vote on an EBA offer, especially if they're never expected to work in that workplace again. Yep. Um, but what, what, you know, what, what do you think is the answer to the dilemma of, you know, the increasing casualisation and less permanent staff, lower union membership, the erosion of wages and conditions? Um, how can the union represent and protect casual staff while also preventing further casualisation yep. in that context? That's a great question. What the, what the federal court actually found was that it was very difficult in a place like Swinburne where there's large numbers of casuals coming and going it was very difficult to determine who should be eligible to vote. So the court basically said the only way to make it reasonably clear is to say that anyone employed during the no- the notice period and or the, basically for the week leading up to the ballot. So whatever the amount of time that the employer puts the ballot out for consideration by staff, that is the period um, when people need to be employed. Now, we, we didn't actually argue that. Um, we're, we're more than happy for... In fact, we want casuals to be treated as workers in universities and to be given the vote if they are reasonably likely... if they are likely to be employed in, in, during a period when the, after the agreement comes into force. One of the problems is that Swinburne went to a ballot in uh, February when large when most casuals were not uh, working because the semester wasn't wasn't taking place. But the problem is really that Swinburne made no effort at all to try and work out which staff would be casuals would be working in coming semesters. They just maximised the size of the electorate, knowing that it would be very difficult for us to get in touch with people. Uh, who had worked only a very short period or ne- never intended to work again. And that was purely to boost the numbers so that we would lose the ballot. We, If people are genuinely going to be working for the university uh, as casuals, we want them to be given a vote on anything to do with their employment. Um, 
in, a, in terms of a university, the, the best solution would be for ma if management want to go to votes, they should do it during semester when the ma maximum number of casuals are actually employed. Uh, I don't think it's going to be such an issue for other industries. I think this this whole case has got ramifications for other industries, but it, it, it's not as complex a problem as in universities. So most other industries are going to have a, a, a regular roster, or well, not necessarily a roster, but a regular number of casuals who you know are um, are seriously working for the, the organisation and will be working for the coming period. That isn't as easy in universities. But the principle we argue is that if they are really genuinely going to be working for the university, give them a vote, but don't make up a, an electorate that you know, or you make no attempt to make clear that they're going to be working at the institution, but just trying to maximise the number of people who you can give a vote to and then bribe to vote in a, in a certain way. That's, you just shouldn't do that. So um, going into the next week of negotiations, what kind of... Uh, what can people do to support staff at Swinburne who are fighting for a fair deal? Well, we have a um, petition uh, at the moment um, calling for the university to stop threatening <laughs> to cut wages. Uh, so pe it would be great if people were, you know, able to sign that that petition. Um, we just want to have a proper uh, negotiation process without uh, without the threat of cuts to wages, and that you know that sort of threat is pretty unprecedented. Even even the uh, even Qantas you know locked out their workers and so on, but they never threatened to cut wages. You know they may argue over about over the what is a viable pay rise, but they never threatened to cut wages if an agreement wasn't made. So we're just asking people to, to support that uh, our petition. The best way to do that is to go to our website, nteu.org.au. All right, good stuff. Thanks very much for your time, Colin. All the best with it all. Thanks very much. That was Colin Long, the Victorian Secretary of the NTU, talking about Swinburne University's union-busting tactics and the fight for a fair agreement there. That's it for the show this week. If you want to offer your support for either of those campaigns, you can find out how at the union websites. That's cpsu.org.au and nteu.org.au slash victoria. If you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us about any social justice and industrial struggles happening in your part of the country, or just to tell us what you reckon about the show, please email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. Give us a call on 03 9419 8377 or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Stick Together is produced on Wurundjeri land at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network, to land stolen from Aboriginal people all over the country. We are grateful for financial support received from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Remember, if you miss the broadcast, you can listen to our streaming online or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au. The theme music for Stick Together is Which Side Are You On? performed by Glitterites. 
My name's Elena McMaster. I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. You can find us at 3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.